0: Hello, everyone. Today, it is just Jen recording the intro because Trevor is asleep. And also because I don't really know who listens to this podcast. There seems to be a bunch of you. But whenever I ask anyone directly, friends or family, they deny it for the most part, except for my mom. (laughs) Mom, I know you're listening. But everyone else. Um, I am also recording this intro because Trevor never listens back to the podcast and I want to put it out there that Trevor's 30th birthday is coming up in a couple weeks and for any friends, family, or strangers who are listening to this podcast, I want to put together a surprise birthday video for Trevor from his friends and family and strangers from all over the world, saying happy birthday. I've reached out to a bunch of you directly. Well, friends and family, not strangers. Um, But if you could send me a video of you saying happy birthday to Trevor uh, via our Instagram at occasionallyinteresting, that would be fantastic. Especially if we legitimately get some strangers in there. I would be delighted if he was just like, who is this saying happy birthday to me? Um, but yeah, just a quick video of you saying happy birthday and I will compile it. So Trevor gets lots and lots of birthday love from everyone all over the world and that would be so awesome. So yeah, <laughs> if you can hear this, I'm talking to you. I don't care. I don't care how how much you don't know Trevor. I think, I think the less you know him, the more entertaining that would be for me anyway. Um, but if you are friends or family that also would be great anyway so on to the regular podcast intro stuff today's episode we have dan dan was actually our very first podcast interview ever um but this is one of those mythologically lost skype episodes it was the first episode we recorded i recorded it over skype i had no idea what i was doing with audio recording i was trying so hard you guys but uh I failed miserably. Um, But it was a great interview and it was wonderful to have Dan as our first podcast guest ever, but you'll never get to hear what happened then. Uh, Dan has been a dear friend and uh, life influencer for many years. I think we've known each other for like 13 years now. Um, And He is a teacher, and in this episode, we talk a lot about uh, how he meditates with his students every day and how that has changed their lives and his life. Uh, We talk about alternative education systems, what's wrong with the education system, um, just a whole bunch of really interesting perspectives and insights into education. So, yeah, this is a great episode. Dan is a wonderful human being, and he's ridiculously hilarious. Um, It's always such a pleasure to get to talk to him and get to pick his brain. Well, I won't be able to do the appropriate episode lead-in of, uh, but without further ado, Dan.
1: Occasionally interesting Occasionally interesting They are Occasionally interesting. Yeah, how do we how do we institutionalize or how do we make society use technology better? And how do we make that so it's self-perpetuating?
2: I think the first the, my first gut uh, response to that is it's it's like what I was saying just a couple moments ago when I said I think we use technology exactly the way that it's meant to be used. I don't think we have a. I don't think humanity will ever have a problem in inventing the next great app, um, and I don't think humans will ever have a problem in using whatever that next great app is. I think the problem lies in um, training people, guiding people to understand that technology is a tool, and it it's not. Um, that it's 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 not something that becomes part of our neural network. It's something that is apart from our selves. And to teach that is to teach. I think humanity. I think it's to teach mindfulness. It's to teach meditation. It's to teach yoga. It's to teach um, on on a practical basis. On a general basis, it means learning it, it means uh what it means to be connected as humans mm-hmm. what it means to be self-aware and i think that's when you do that you'll you'll see that technology will just be a tool it's just something that is there just like um uh i don't know i don't know what i was gonna, I was gonna say something about the oreos but, I <laughs>
1: think about it. but yeah i mean just like guns you know you can use a gun responsibly or you can use it irresponsibly it's really obvious when you're using it irresponsibly because it's a gun it's not so obvious when you're using a facebook responsibly or irresponsibly because it feels really good when you're like shut up you're a moron because you're stupid and you no know, point
2: yeah dumb. exactly exactly or sugar i think that's what i was going to say about oreos it's like it has its place in society and it has its benefits but uh so, the ana- analogous question would be like, how do we eat cookies better?
0: <laughs>
2: you know, and it's not about like we do what we're supposed to do with cookies, it's exactly what we're supposed to do. The question is like, when do we know what it's doing to our bodies? When do we know to stop eating it or not engage in it so that our bodies could do what it ought to do?
0: I think it's just self awareness on another level. I mean, when you start to cultivate good practices, Trevor's very annoyed at all of the good practices he's cultivated in this realm of things of being like he used to be able to eat crap and walk around in loud spaces and all this stuff but now that he's been living in my world for a while everything he's, he's become much more sensitive and like you know i don't think i could eat more than four oreos i would start feeling bad pretty oh, quickly would, it, yeah and yeah say
1: I can eat a whole thing of Oreos. You think that you haven't sitting. tried to D- eat Oreos for so as long as I've known give you. Me a gallon of milk and some Oreos, I'll show you. Yeah,
0: and then you'll and then you'll be so Why? miserable after that and yeah. and be like, Why did you let me do that?
1: For my personally as such, I will still eat those damn Oreos. Yeah, <laughs> goddamn the disco for doing that. <laughs> yeah. They are They're so good. They are the so texture, good. The, uh, the creaminess and the yeah.
2: Fake it all tastes. This is they got it right. <laughs> they got the right
1: formula.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh man, what a vice! I
1: think mean, that's the problem too. I mean, companies get <laughs> you, so good, like, so at perfecting dreamy. it like everything. Uh, it's like down down to like,
2: yeah. I mean, they're just good at what they do. Just yeah, just like those apps are. Like those notifications, like come on at just the right mm-hmm. time. It's not like you open the app and the notification is there. Well, some are, but some some notifications come on like. You know, 30 seconds after you start clicking your first, the notifications come on to to get that dopamine rise. And um, food was designed the same way. Nabisco designed Oreos to do exactly that.
0: <laughs> what, happened? To make a profit. what happened? I haven't so, had an Oreo in a really long time. Like, did they change something? <laughs> like, what are you guys talking know, about? Been, my mouth has been watering. <laughs>
1: Well, so mindfulness, you think that's the solution? Mind- teaching mindful mindfulness practices to be more self-aware on a, pra- be, you know, on a practical level. Yeah,
2: I mean that's that's I think that's the solution to our uh, the diet problem. I think that's the solution to reacting with you know our loved ones in 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 a way that's unhealthy. I think that's a solution to. Um, Uh, war (laughs) you know like I I (laughs) I feel like if uh, if people were really in touch with themselves who they are and um, then they engage with community in a completely different uh, compassionate way then our world starts to change
0: and a sense of anger and vengeance becomes very different
2: yeah but I I, and this is so this is so cheesy to say like you you know I've had I could never be a yoga teacher because I can't sincerely say these cheesy things but uh you know the you know my good yoga teachers would say you know we're it's it's now you know like let's create a space for dot 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 you're literally creating when you're meditating you're creating a space for compassion you're creating a space for uh open-mindedness you know um i know i have in the past few years since i've been meditating more and more and i tell you meditation is so hard to make it a routine but um, I meditate with my students every, every day, every class for five minutes at the beginning, and that's my routine with them. Without that, I, it, it'd be really hard, so I kind of make myself do it with them. Um, I know I've changed. It's so subtle, but that subtle change has been so powerful to me. I can, I can take so much more now. I can take so much more. You know how if you fight with your mom, for, for example, or whatever, you get that, like especially with family members. Like that hook just like goes right into your gut or whatever. And it's like there from childhood, you know, you're just like, ah. And so that's where like you you react the quickest. And it's typically the ones that are closest to you that you react the quickest with. Um, and I haven't, I found myself not reacting that way hmm. anymore. It's been gradual, but I'm able to take that thorn and be like, it's just a thorn. Like I, it's just a thing that I'm doing. And that takes a lot of self-awareness. Whereas my siblings don't do not do that. They, they come back there in that space with with the parental units and like that thorn gets stuck in there. And what do they do? They react with that thorn in there um, instead of letting that thorn go and be like, it's just the thorn. That's all it is. And you got to let it go because what are you going to do? Like make this person disappear right now? Or are you <sighs> going to leave? We can do that, I guess what's in your control what's not in your control um and so they take that thorn they they like kind of like leave it in there and then they react with this like bitter response or like passive aggressiveness and it's like ugly you know and like but it's so hard to imagine you it. ever
0: doing that even like you really feel like it because you, doing... you know me yeah oh
2: no i've i've reacted made, thorny, to your been parents. thorny. <laughs> yeah yeah i think i've been unkind um
0: I mean, even just sure. even before whatever dedicated mindfulness practices you're doing, you seem like very mindful and very easy, or very very practiced at perspective taking.
2: Yeah, and you know, I, I feel like I, I'll take that as a compliment. So thank you. <laughs> it's <laughs> but good. Even even as like a person who's practiced, I, I find it so hard. And people people have always told me like you're so patient, you're calm kind, kind, or whatever. Um, I still find it hard. You're like, you haven't met my mother. (laughs) Well, what I'm saying is like, I think the average, I might be a standard deviation to the right on this bell curve of people who tend to want to maybe meditate more often. Mm -hmm. It's the other people who need it the most, (laughs) who need to, you know, meditate the most. Yeah. And the question is, how do you, how do you get them? And that's a real freaking challenge.
0: Well, you call it Kung Fu.
2: Kung Fu? Yeah. What do you call (laughs) Kung Fu?
0: Oh, this is um, an earlier episode we talked about with a with a veteran who, who was like in gangs and grew up on the mean streets of Providence, Rhode Island and then has been in the military and all, all of this stuff like led a very hard life like like hard not like yeah, and yeah. also hard but yeah, um... <laughs> lots of lots
2: of uh, layers and
0: yeah and that you know that he would have never done yoga because that's too gay for him. But he's, <laughs> this he is said. a direct quote on our, on our podcast, but that <laughs> he's so grateful for Kung Fu because it tricked him into doing meditation and stretching and like having this whole new force perspective. But like they had to call it a martial art and make it seem like a real badass move to meditate before he was willing to do it. And now he wants to get all all these other people to do it. He started a nonprofit trying to get veterans or specific like PTSD Veterans oh, yeah. to come do kung fu because you know they're not gonna do yoga or go to a, a mindfulness meditation retreat, but if yeah, you call it kung fu.
2: I honestly think, I, I'm not that's that's incredible. I I really think that um, one way that our school systems can change because this is this is a hard thing to do at the house in at the home because the home is always like fraught with activity and it's just so. But if you were to institutionalize meditation for everyone and it's organized and it's a way that's practiced and you talk about it you talk about the science of it you talk about technique and it's just something that happens every single day it takes it takes the routinizing out of your out of the equation the, the like showing up is everything dedicating that time space to it is 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 the hardest part by far Um, And so once you, once you, if you were to institutionalize that so that the routine is outsourced for these students, you would have such a transformational, such a transformational society. Um, And on the tiniest scale, I do this with all of my students. I've been doing this successfully now for just this past year before they were six, um, subsequently as the years go back. I think I started this about four years ago with my students what a failure, what a flop, like trying to meditate with my students was. Why? Um, because, A, I didn't really understand too much myself. I just understood that it kind of like felt good. So I, so my understanding of it wasn't like as deep as it is now mm-hmm. and how transformational it can be in your daily lives, um, in your daily life could be. Um, and so I didn't know how to teach it all that well. Um, and so you could, that was reflected on their noncompliance or like, you know, whatever. But then the second year, um, I read some books, uh, Pima Chodron was, was a huge, a Thich Nhat Hanh, um, and stuff on YouTube, uh, from wise people that made meditation seem like much, much more than just sitting and listening to your breath. Um, and so I knew more, more guidance, and it was like we would do it maybe once every time it was sunny outside or whatever. And then I got more into it, and I was like, man, this is completely transformational to me potentially. So then last year, I tried to institutionalize it every day for five minutes, and administrators knew that I was doing it. I got their support. It wasn't a big deal. And um, it got really challenging really quick with students who like just didn't buy into it. And this is the first year, but they came back to me, The most of them came back to me saying, like, are you still meditating with your students? That was the best that we don't do this. And like, I wish we did this for, it's such a great experience. They had good memories of it. And so this year, I, I turned it into a science at the beginning of the year. And it turned into a seminar. Basically, for four or five classes at the beginning, we would talk about, I would do this exercise where I said, okay, first day of saying, I was like, we were going, this is the expectation. Giving them the expectation that we would do this every day, uh, so infusing some, you know, teaching techniques. Uh, and I said, first day, I was like, just close your eyes for ten minutes. When you open your eyes, what, you know, how many thoughts did you have? How many? And that's how we would scale. We would, we would start from there, and then I would bring in the research. And the research appeals to the AP kids because. Um, the research that they've done in these really, I, and these, this isn't like Naropa. It's not like, um, you know, the Thai School for Wellness hmm. research. It's, 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 uh, it's just mainstream Baylor, Harvard, Yale School for, you know, health or whatever, longitudinal studies that showed, um, where, you know, control group didn't do meditation for six weeks and then the the group that did meditation for six weeks did it half an hour a day of particular technique not only was their health better their mental health better they scored higher 16 percentile points higher on a graduate record examination like the you know graduate the gre's
0: that's amazing
2: 16 percentile points that's That's and to my ap students i was like that's the difference between the 80th percentile and 96th percentile. That's, that's not a small thing. And the only difference was the, the meditation. And for the students who – that's like half the students that that appealed to. And then there was like the attention, the PTSD, the stress, the, the, the depression, all of these things uh, because you're diminishing, you're, you're decreasing your cortisol level. Um, and this is all not even to talk about the substance of what meditation gives you which is the space, the idea of self-awareness, the, uh, the developing compassion, the ability to tell your reactive brain to, to say, oh, I'm reacting. Oh, I'm angry. Recognizing what you have in control of your life, what you don't have. So many of these profound things just from sitting routinely <laughs> five to ten minutes a day. And then it's just so transformational. And I know... I know, comparing to my previous batch of students, they're cal- they're so much more calm now than my students were five or six years ago. Wow! At the beginning, and they're they're very um, irritable sometimes, as just normal teenagers. But after those far- first five to ten minutes, it's like serene, and they can concentrate.
1: So why aren't they doing this over like the do see, like daily announcements and? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: instead like, of the pledge
1: yeah i think that's a yeah. pretty good selling point like 16 percentage points should be enough to convince oh the principal to yeah well now now headspace for now the we're into the minutes. realm
2: of how do we ideally change the school system and that will be for maybe two other <laughs> two or three other volumes of conversation <laughs> but i agree i agree we should institutionalize stuff if we institutionalize gym class for god's sake yeah um which is one of the biggest jokes, and I, I have well, I, I sympathize with my gym teachers. I love my gym, te- the well, gym teachers. Why is that a
0: joke? Because
2: you're forcing them to do something that they don't want. Essentially, what? Well, you can all re- school. You can redesign <laughs> it to be yoga and meditation PE, and you can design. They don't have to be forced to playing. Have you interviewed? Have you given exit interviews to students right after gym class? The jocks freaking love it because they're high fiving and you know yeah. playing whatever they knew, knew, and but half the students are like I've got I, I the already only place exercise. I was still being
0: bullied when I was like eighteen yeah. and then
2: everyone else is like this is where the people who are on the lower end of the the um, whatever skill level it is and that's always going to be fifty percent of the people no matter what it is yeah. that you're doing because of statistics. Half the people won't be good as the other half of the people, and those half of the people are going to be shitty. That's a lot of students, because everything is about skill and ability, and the teachers are always there
1: trying to be like,
2: no, it's not about the skill; it's about how much you try. Like bullshit. What is that kind of like?
1: How is that any different than physics or math or? I mean, because it's not as immediate. It's not like every. It's not like everyone's like seeing this problem, and then everyone kind of does it in a team (laughs) and like. (laughs) like, I mean, kind of is like. If it's not, not. It's not. It's not the, it's same, not the same. It's not the same. But it's. It's not no. the same outward immediate was, results. Like I feel like gym class
0: action. would be. Fi- I'd be fine with all those activities if I was, you know, doing them in a controlled environment where all of the jocks weren't then screaming at me for my inability to catch a ball or throw a ball. But, but because- I mean.
1: Just for the record, though, you know, I'm dyslexic. It's really difficult for me to read out loud. When you're in an English class and they're like, we're going to go around in a circle and read out loud. I mean, that is fucking nerve-wracking to be like, ah, fuck, Like, which sentence am I going to be on? Like, fuck, you know? Yeah, you got it. it. Try to
0: memorize it it quick before it gets to me. Yeah. That's exactly what I said.
1: I mean, but I, I also remember getting kicked out of the library because I was there skipping gym class. I was like, "This is fucking bullshit! <laughs> like, what kind of craziness? I'm not like." And then I would just leave. Like,
2: yeah, I, I don't think there's a study out there that shows that gym class makes people healthier. Yeah, which is what it is, it's there to do. Which is a shame. I mean, because people people who are already healthy. I mean, it should be yoga. It should be meditation. If you're, it should be. Um, if they if they play sports like why are you going to teach them volleyball? Like um it should be a, teaching them how to be joyous in physical activity, not
0: how to get punished the hell out of <laughs> you know, yeah. Okay.
1: Anyway, that's just Yeah. I mean even weight training if they so choose it like I guess the endorphins going and but I don't think it should be forced upon anybody. I mean, I don't, I think it's sad that we have to force school on anybody in general.
2: The way that it is now.
1: Like, that's, that's got to change.
2: Yeah. Have you guys ever, if you guys ever uh, visit a public school, ask them for like the map of the school, like the floor plan.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And then you visit a prison and you do the exact yeah. same thing. Identical. <laughs> Identical. They look the same. They look the exact same. Down to the atrium. There's like a central atrium. It's all because of crowd control and efficiency with the way that they're walking it has nothing to do with learning at all
0: i'm not surprised oh man i just Mm -hmm. remembered you would you were like the only person who wouldn't turn on the lights and just let us sit in sunlight with the light from the windows and that was oh my god what a difference in calmness just that simple thing was, and I was—I would always get so mad when the lights would be off, and then some student would walk into the classroom and turn oh, them on. And be like, "Why would you do this to us? Yeah, who wants this? Yeah, like the worst lighting in the entire world is public schools.
2: Yeah, it's—it's it's really wasteful, but it's—it's it's a habit, and uh, yeah, I still do that. Nice. I mean, I will teach. Not only do I teach in darkness, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 my my level, yeah. my threshold is if oh. they can't see your paper then i'm turning on the lights it's it's that simple i mean it has to be like a dreary winter day um and my blinds aren't aren't even like like you know teachers have their blinds up to here or whatever i I have it like all the way up to the ceiling to make sure all the light comes in. not only that but i designed this is part of another story but i designed a um a system where like uh, if i need just a little more light i have a solar powered system oh nice It charges the battery that we use some LEDs to brighten it up a little
0: bit that's awesome
2: <laughs> so we're off grid
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> in my own glass <laughs> well, hey that's just that's a great start
0: what is the most unrealistic thing you believe in
2: the most unrealistic thing that I believe in so this is a belief but it's unrealistic hmm I, well, those, those two things are kind of at a conflict for me. Unrealistic thing that I believe in, I suppose right now is the, uh, I believe in people to do the right thing that are in power. And I feel like that's pretty unrealistic. I always do. I always believe in that because like, I have, I feel like I have no choice. Yeah. But it feels so unrealistic.
0: Yeah, but it's like, I mean, I feel like so many of our beliefs come from, well, obviously what we know, and then certainly when we're thinking about other people, how we can perspective take and the things we can empathize with are still coming from us fundamentally. So like, you're a good person who would do the right thing. And to imagine yourself being in that position, it's pretty hard to make a calculated imagination where you're then choosing to be evil, essentially. So, yeah, it's pretty hard to relate and believe in bad people. It doesn't make much sense. Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: How many of our
1: elected officials do you think are really evil people? Or do you think that... Well, yeah, I think evil might be a... Yeah, but it's hard to imagine, like, when... like, I mean, I think that there's some corrupt people. I think that there's some greedy people. I think that there's some in-between people.
2: Yeah, I think, I think there's a, a, I mean, I guess you have to be pretty specific. Like if you're talking about um, something on a more innocuous end of the scale, like school institutions are filled with, they're not corrupt. Like well, if you're, if you're going to go into the business of making money, you're not going to go into public schooling. <laughs> and there have been corrupt public school officials, but that's extraordinarily rare. Yet, nonetheless, you're still like, I want this system to be changed so much. I have faith that the people in power will do the right thing, and it's unrealistic. And the reason why they don't is because the institutions are just so out of whack, like at the state level and the at the local level.
1: How do you think they got and, that way in the first place, though? Um, how do
2: they how do they get kind of like rigid in the first place? I think I think a lot of it is ignorance um but what i'm saying is and this is also true for government is so that's an innocuous example the the more um in my face example right now is what's going on in washington on the federal level like the the you know the president of the united states is like the ultimate emblem of corruption and deceit and undoing what he's doing kind of exposes the lack of structure um in place to mitigate these people who are evil so no i don't think people are inherently evil who are in power but um i think the uh the institutions the way that they're structured kind of don't lend themselves to helping the cause any so there's there's corruption in the system you know the lobbying the um um the ignorance the um the revolving doors of the of the of the you know fossil fuel in, industry um the electoral college the fact that nebraska and north dakota and south dakota and wyoming and they all have two senators each and like half of the united states is in california and new york state and <laughs> they each have two you know senators um i could go on i'm not citizens united there's just so many things that are so that set corruptible people to do just to get their leverage and um and so you know the vast majority of americans voted you know by millions of people to not elect trump yet here he is that's um and in this on the other side we have people in the state hiring just several people to say what should be in like an educational curriculum and then um they pass that and then 15 years later we're like what is this old piece of crap now we have to change and to do that to go undergo those changes like everyone's hands are tied and it's just to overcome the institutions is a really difficult thing to do And you need a major consensus and when parties are tribal forget it that's where i think it's just unrealistic and yet, you're right. It's a paradox because, like, you want to have faith in them, and you have faith in the people themselves, but like, it's just unrealistic. And that's a real bummer. I just bummed myself out <laughs> doing.
1: It is a real bummer because it's so hard to fix. Like, institutions wind up just being bogged down in all this crap, and to untie any of that is. But how is it so easy to tangle up, but so hard to untangle? I mean, there's laws got voted into in the first place. I mean,
0: I mean, that applies to literally anything you can tangle, <laughs> figurative or uh, tangible true. Christmas lights and whatever. It's much easier to tangle something than to untangle.
1: You know, but I mean, I, I, I think that some of it is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think that there's a staggering amount of it that's truly bad intentions or yeah. actions that just don't seem that important to the individual making the choice. It's like, oh, well, what if I screw over, like, half of my constituents if it makes me a couple million dollars? Like, nobody's really going to notice or care. So it's going to be a small screw over or spread over a wide.
0: And I'm going to distract them with this other thing in the meantime. Right. Okay, I think this is a very good segue.
1: <laughs> if there was one behavior or action you could get everyone in the world to do or stop doing, what would it be?
2: one behavior that i would have everyone start doing or stop doing correct yeah. it it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before i think it's like it's thing? The, 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 the it would be meditation i don't know if that's a practice or yeah. anything
0: no definitely Like think that that's wonderful I, I think answer. that would bring world peace absolutely instantly. yeah me too that's <laughs> pretty unrealistic but i still <laughs> believe it it's hard to imagine people yeah. getting in touch with themselves themselves and therefore feeling at one with everything. Yeah. And, and then being like nah
2: Just fostering empathy. Yeah. And compassion. Yeah.
0: What's the most annoying thing about people?
2: Most annoying thing about people is that they don't meditate. <laughs> um most annoying thing about people. I think Um this doesn't apply to all people. I don't know how many that's people okay. are we ta- we're talking <laughs> about. We're talking about maybe too many people. The most annoying thing about too many people. No. I mean, what it,
0: whatever comes to your heart, whatever annoys you in your heart of hearts.
2: <laughs> I think it is. it would be the lack of compassion. Yeah. It's all along the same line. I don't know. The very same theme. It's totally. It's lack, that's lack that's of pretty of much compassion. what
0: every yes says. the lack of compassion, lack of understanding or empathy.
1: Also feed into one another. It's hard to have compassion if you don't have understanding or empathy. What is something that is really popular now, but in five years everyone will look back on and be embarrassed by? Hmm. Facebook? Maybe? I was just reading that they, uh, I
2: think we're like in a point of inflection with, with, facebook but hopefully i think we should have been there
1: uh, a while ago now yeah
0: i think it's pretty complicated to for the average person to separate facebook as a corporation and the stuff they're doing and facebook as a way to keep in touch with their granddaughter and see pictures of their of their kids and whatnot like yeah this is something that we've now grown pretty accustomed to as we become a further apart world as this is the primary way of staying in touch and staying up to date and that yeah, it's it's very it's very hard to separate that from a corporation that's making really fucked up decisions and seriously manipulating us as people. <laughs> like you you're not thinking that as you're looking at pictures of your grandson on your Facebook feed. Yeah. You're, you're just thinking Exactly. Oh, I love my grandson. He looks so cute on this Tuesday morning. That's so nice. I get to see him.
2: That's right. But I wonder I mean that's why I signed onto Facebook in the first place years ago. But um but now it's like iCloud and like photo sharing and like instagram and like um, i think the utility is kind of wearing off and people in our generation your generation my generation are still kind of using (laughs) same generation ish we're still using facebook the people let's see it was it was it's crazy there was a big night and day i think this was about three years ago when the preponderance of my class juniors and seniors in high school um Said Facebook, who uses Facebook? That's for okay, like for clubs maybe, but like who uses Facebook? And the previous year, they were like, Facebook this, Facebook that. Yes, Twitter, barely no Instagram. This was three or four years what, ago, that's maybe. Crazy. And then the very next year, it was like no one uses Facebook.
0: Wow, hmm. that's pretty. Wild. It was pre- and
2: it was pretty instant, which was what was wild. And so now it's, and then Twitter had its like day for maybe a couple of years among students, but now it's all Snapchat and Instagram. That's all you need.
0: Yeah, as my for that. actual like social media for social media purposes, right. like Instagram, to but st- traveling internationally, it is, I mean, Facebook's the medium, it's something that everyone has, there's a chat function, there's event functions, there's a way to find out information, and like internationally, a lot of places aren't going to have websites, but they all have Facebook pages, so that's how you find out, you know, when a restaurant's open, or but for, I in touch with the audience. Yes, but. for
2: 20-year-olds and younger, no longer is the case.
0: Fair enough.
2: Yeah.
1: I can't believe something hasn't come out to replace Facebook that...
0: That's because Facebook keeps replacing Facebook. Facebook doesn't look a thing like it looked like five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years but
1: ago. But something that hasn't come out that says that we put our users' privacy above all else... I mean,
0: that which, doesn't seem to be a priority. Look, we just learned about this this messaging service that everyone from Reddit uses to talk to other Reddit users. And it's not encrypted. It's not secure. There's a so it's like the number one thing where pedophiles collect children and yet it's what everyone from reddit uses and, and like you, you can't be friends on reddit without this ser- messaging service
1: hmm. Reddit? are you talking about achan kick oh
0: i'm not talking about something on reddit i'm saying all reddit users are like message me on kick i'm on kick that's where the anyway i, I would just say yeah, bringing I... that up to be like a lot Privacy's of people don't give a shit about privacy, yeah, in comparison to many other factors. It's pretty mind boggling. Which I
1: kind of understand. I mean, I think that as we come more into a globalized society that it is a very valuable thing to be able to connect consumers with products that they actually want because there's so many products out there now that you know, it's it is a handy nifty service to be To have ads tailored to you, which is really where the privacy comes into play is market and analytics of what, who you are, how you define who you are, your demographics, your socioeconomical statuses, and then who buys, like what you buy is that type of person. And those are the, that's the data that they're using and selling and that does offer a very valuable service. I mean, it's insanely valuable. It's where Facebook gets its money from. It's a huge, very profitable company. But if, you know, then you hear about the Cambridge Analytica. Apparently, there was another one on the same scale as that recently that I just read about today. Um, but the average citizen probably is not going to care too much about that, Like, except for the fact that it had this tremendous impact but I don't even know if that's the real problem. (laughs) I mean, it was the fact that Cambridge Analytica could use that information and sell that information to people who were going to use it in a way that wind up persuading so many people to things that didn't really make sense in the first place. But it's the fact that we were so easily swayed that's really the issue, not the fact that it could be used that way or was used that way. It's like that people are going to do that no matter what. They're going to find a way. I don't know if saying facebook's the problem is necessarily right. the most accurate yeah it's almost like saying the internet's the problem yeah, yeah. like so, yeah, yeah like blaming the wrong thing there
0: yes I perhaps think. we should educate people
1: better. yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> critical as as- thinking as a mandatory course throughout schooling seems like pretty fucking valuable yeah mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. as all of these other things that we are learning become completely irrelevant like memorizing dates or even you know other whatever but critical thinking that's the thing that is what what matters for us having every bit of information at our fingertips being able to decipher is this false is this a good source is that regardless of all that is it something that fits with me and everything else that i've learned does this fit into the greater puzzle and yeah i think that's hugely lacking at every age not just like I know that we've
1: talked about it. you had your experience with the critical thinking course in college. Mine was similar to. I had a couple similar stories to you where it was like my logic course and a speech course that were like. I mean, I think logic should be taught in middle school, like I agree like with classical that. logic. Like, I agree with that because it's it teaches you how to think. And I watched that class evolve. Like by the end of that class, and, and it was you know freshman year logic course like. They were looking at problems differently and if they had been doing that for the last five years i think that it would be a tremendous help to a lot of people to yeah understand. in every
0: course in every aspect of their life
1: yeah. yeah i don't know why it's not i mean
2: yeah i mean this even this is even like this is in the humanities course the, the uh no one knew how to think no one knew that they had the right to even think. Other than the way that the church or the people in power told them to think, until mm-hmm. the Enlightenment. I mean, that's why we call it the Enlightenment. And then, um, and like when we teach the Enlightenment in schools, it's just like another chapter in history. It's not
0: revolutionary.
2: It's not like this huge thing that actually, you know, made us the democracy that we are. And it's it's crazy. They don't teach students how to think. They think that they do, but they
1: don't. But how do you how do you think you miss the mark so easily on that? I mean, what is school there if not to teach people how to think?
2: Um, well, when I say they think that's what they're doing by they I mean me included because I'm forced to do what I'm forced to do, it's just that you have this thing called the curriculum, and then you have these things called teachers, and then <laughs> teachers will take the <laughs> curriculum. And teach it the most economical way possible, and that normally means give me the resources, put it all in bins. Everything goes in bins, and by bins I just mean like in, like uh, cognitive bins where it's like one unit to the next unit. Um, first the test, then the review, or first the review, then the test. You have questions at the end, done. Boom, you move on to the next thing, and and another bin. Uh, is the classroom itself you go from the English bin to the history bin um and and they think I, I'm teaching my students how to critically think about how the war of 1812 influenced whatever <laughs> and um what does that even mean like in what context and um so there's like if you take if you pair like a really great teacher with whatever curriculum you can make Shakespeare or some uh seemingly boring topic i don't find shakespeare boring but um you know what i mean like you can you can take you could as long as the teacher is inspiring they can take any curriculum and make it into something great and um a teachers the vast majority of them um they all have good intentions as as far as or the vast majority of them have good intentions um They'll. They weren't trained to do that. They. They don't. They're not trained to. The vast majority of them will teach the way that they learned. That they're most familiar with. And um, if you want them to teach logic, there's no. There's no. There's no course out there for middle schoolers, and there should be. But who develops that? That's that's like this. That's up to the state to decide, which is bizarre. Like, um, and so what are you going to get? Like, the logic, the logicians of America, to lobby in Pennsylvania, I, you know. Um there's like a formal process. Um I think that not only do students need to learn how to think, they need to know how to think in the real world, they need to also know how to feel. So that that sounds very abstract and it goes back to meditation, but when you put them together what that means is the curriculum shouldn't be a checklist of items with one teacher, it should be um, it should be a curriculum of experiences. Like shared experiences, experiences where they're figuring stuff out on themselves, um, with with each other, uh, team teaming, um, working on a farm. So the the where they learn how to feel is where there's stewardship over themselves, their their the stewardship of their their group. Um, and there's so many experiences that you can do. You can build a house. You can um, build a shed for the pigs. You can t- take care of particular garden or whatever and of course you can like history comes out of that politics comes out of that you can learn about sustainability you can learn about what's happening in government and how those decisions are made everything can be done in context but um instead of making that document that curriculum document sort of like that centralized um mechanism to inform how the teacher teaches it should be the experiences that should be like the the mechanism that informs the way that the teachers teach, you know. But that that just means like turning these buildings that look like prison cells into farms, gardens, greenhouses, uh warehouses, uh, you know, where they can play around with gadgets and um build stuff, um poetry sessions, recording studios. Um where you know kind of students drive the curriculum instead
1: of vice versa. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I remember being shocked at how much our education system costs. Like it seems very industrialized, and then I would think efficient and therefore cheap. But I mean, and this was ten years ago when I was reading statistics, maybe even longer ago. I mean, the the cost to the taxpayer per student and in a public the average public school was over ten thousand dollars a kid per year you take an average class of say 30 people that's three hundred thousand dollars i mean you could be like let's go build a house for three hundred thousand dollars let's all learn how to build a house together pay somebody to teach you how to do it too i mean and have all the supplies i mean so why are i mean why is it so i mean to me that screams inefficiency like where is that money going then like you know we had a, a relatively small class compared to na- nationally in high school, uh, big class compared to our school, but we had over, what, 200 kids Might in, in one good. class. That's a lot of money per year that's coming out of the taxpayers' dollars. And I don't think we're paying teachers. I don't think that money's going to teachers' salaries. Yeah, I mean, the, the,
2: your school, I'm sure, had the numbers to back up uh, why it was a good school if you're taking a look at this traditional system measurement technique, which is state scores, SAT scores and percentage of people going on to college and number of people going to taking AP exams. And if you, if you take a look at all that stuff and you bring it to the board, you bring that stuff to the state, the state's like, Oh, this school is performing well. Keep doing what you're doing. Yes. We'll keep funding, blah, blah, blah. But in this new context of like what we're just saying like the experience should be central you should have these studios you should have like who the fuck cares about your sat scores um and we're we're measuring the wrong things the state is measuring this school success using the wrong pieces of data um the extent to which i mean we should the students should read they should be able to do basic math insofar as you know, logic and number sense is concerned um, to the point where they should be able to function in society, and they should be given the opportunity to specialize in in the math to where they want to go. If they want to go into engineering and building and more, you know, they, they should be able to specialize, and they should specialize in 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 communication. So that's that's writing and that's speaking. So those are the three the three R's still are relevant. Um, but beyond that, everything else is just context. I mean, you don't have to have a specific math class necessarily, um, although that would help. Uh, but the reading and the writing, the communication—they don't. You don't have to have a class called English. Um, have the class called um, Shakespeare and and uh, War or something, or have the class called um, uh, you know Sleep in the 21st century or whatever and it's, it's make, keep it interdisciplinary and meaningful but um, so the interdisciplinary sort of intellectual academic kind of rigor should come in these interdisciplinary mechanisms and then but then you should still have those actual experiences where you're that we were talking about earlier and and then you're like okay let's just imagine those playing that out like where you have a successful school system where you have interdisciplinary stuff going on you have um, classes you have classes and you have um, you know traditional classes where you're reading an article about sleep and you're discussing whatever but you have and you have people in the background working on their own projects team projects and so on what makes a successful student is it the number of AP classes that you're taking and what their state scores are and what their PS, you know what their SAT scores are that's fine as part of their overall portfolio but like how, how do you, that's not the measure of a successful student and that's certainly not how you would measure the success of that that school um so this these institutions have been around for so long that they're the state and the districts are so intertwined um and they operate so separately that it has to be done simultaneously
1: Well, here's something that troubles me as somebody who, for most topics, I would pin this pretty far left on the spectrum, is what that sounds like to me is that the fact that government is in charge of our school system is a large part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that government couldn't do it right, which I think is often, it's like, well, government hasn't done it right, therefore it shouldn't do it at all. Well, like, no, we could change the way it does it. But... I think that that sort of lent that argument of like you shouldn't have healthcare run like the DMV. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, look at our schooling systems. That's partially the way that it's messed up. Messed up the way that it is is because of the dragging of the feet of the bureaucracy behind it being a government institution.
2: Um. Yeah, and it's governed by two parties, and these two parties are pretty disparate in their sort of cultural. Ideologies, and well, let's 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 talk about why government is good when it comes to public education. Government is good, I believe, when it comes to public education, is because they should be there to ensure that education is a right. So you're born, um, and you should. uh, Well, let me
1: play devil's advocate there for a second. We have really failing city schools. Yeah, I mean they're uh, they're terrible. Terrible, like Philadelphia. I think I'm like like, you're talking about like 50% graduation rates, which is just it's mind-boggling so they're failing anyway we are failing those kids we could help some of those kids and you know like charter schools i don't necessarily i'm playing devil's advocate reiterate that but doesn't it make more sense i mean and there's and that's not only just the school's problem i mean that is home life that is there's a whole bunch of other factors that feed into why these kids are failing so terribly at school and, and how school is failing them but if we have a chance to give the percentage of those kids that are in a position to actually do well and achieve more and go on, like shouldn't we be maximizing that rather than wasting a bunch of money on efforts that we know concretely are going to be fruitless? Well,
2: the, what you're raising is something really complicated. And I think the solutions lie in economic issues, in um, – Welfare issues. By welfare, I mean the way that we take care of the poor, um, and then just institutional inequities. There's when we, when you're saying the average student, the spending is per pupil in this country is ten thousand dollars or something
1: like that. It's probably more than that.
2: Okay, so yeah, probably definitely more than that. I don't know what the figures are, but I remember um, just about in the, in the recently um, the spending per pupil in for a student in Philadelphia. Is still hovering around 10 grand per student. That's, c- compare that, not as an absolute number, let's not see that as an absolute number because I think there's incredible ine- inefficiencies there. But um, comparatively to where I teach in the suburb, wealthy suburb, they're getting over three times that, hmm. three times the monetary value per pupil.
1: And both are public institutions, but my point is, I mean, you could, I, th- I, I believe that to some extent you could. Let me tell you what happens as a result, though.
2: Right? What happens as a result is, um, those those classes they're dilapidated, so like there's no real dignity coming. You don't feel safe because, um, you know, there's asbestos. There's uh, there's um, the 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 windows are completely broken it's cold in there and so but that and then and then who who, who would want to work in a, in in these kinds of schools well first of all the the average pay uh for the top you know earners in philadelphia right now is around 60 60 grand or something like that 65 grand and that's and the top you're working one. there. yeah you're working there for a long time before you get there uh where i work if you're working there within, uh, if you work there with for about thirteen years and you have a master's degree, you're already earning over six figures. Thirteen years compared to something like that. So where where do the good teachers go? Right where do, where do they where do they? If you want to raise a fan, if I, I remember teaching in Philadelphia, saying I will never work at a suburban school in my mm-hmm. life. Um, and I loved teaching in Philadelphia. I loved my students. I loved the challenge. Um, what I didn't love was the way that teachers were being um, pressured to unscientifically uh, get to a particular score on their test by the, administra- the administrators did put undue pressure on the teachers.
1: Would you elaborate by what you mean by unscientifically?
2: Oh, they would say, here's the data. Uh, you haven't had your scores, uh, um, and so you're doing this wrong, and so we're going to put this intervention. Rather than saying, well, wait a minute, each – that's that group of students didn't do well because of attendance or like the, you haven't um, the way
1: that they they, so they say, were using the scientific approach to to navigate unders- interventions. Yeah, it was just kind of like here's what the playbook is. Let's do this because yeah. you have these numbers rather yeah. than like oh these people haven't showed up to class. That's why they're not doing well. So doing an intervention of this isn't going to help.
2: Yeah, I mean to some degree, like the the data help, but not in the way that they they were exercising it. Um, and, and so what happened was like, I was like, those teachers are suffering over there. Some teachers are having some success. The teachers who were having success were feeling okay, but they were, they weren't feeling, um, like there was cohesion and to, when you're taking care of people, namely kids, you need cohesion among the adults. You need happiness among the adults to be reflected. And it was a miserable place to work along a lot of times. So mix that with a teacher so i i had i had um, my second child then um and that's a lot of stress so the decision that i made was let's see i'm weighing these two options i could be making significantly more not going home at five o'clock and being t- super tired from this i love the students there i'm not gonna love other students any anymore but i'm getting all of this pressure M- everyone's miserable um, and I'd be making so much more money. What am I going to take? And so um, the vast majority of, of teachers just take that that route of like after a while you just burn out and you're gonna you're gonna teach somewhere where you're appreciated by the administrators. And it, it didn't feel as fulfilling to some degree, but it felt just as fulfilling because also stu- I I love teaching any kind of students whether they're um, in the urban setting or the suburban setting. Um, and uh, so you have this separation, but the but the bottom line is the the per pupil spending was tied to the real estate market and the real estate prices. So if it's cheap to live somewhere, your schools are going to be shitty. If it's expensive to live somewhere, your schools are going to be nice.
1: I do think funding is a large. Large part. I mean, the but fact that they're the tied only. to real estate values, property values, is. And is that every state? Do you know?
2: I don't know if that's every state. That's a good question. So it would be
1: interesting to compare states if if, if it isn't every state. I,
2: I, ima- I imagine it is for the for the vast majority of the population in the urban settings.
1: Now, how much do you think if we if we tied spending, if we said you, that per person they spend as much in a center, center city school as they do at your school? How much do you think that would move the dial in terms of benchmarkers like graduation rates? Um,
2: okay, so that's that's another. Remember when we were talking about the the two models, like my dream model, mm-hmm. the fantasy model, and this um, the traditional model. The charter schools now, and the the schools that are suffering in Philadelphia, are doing something that I oppose, which is they are trying their narrative is we can operate just as well as the suburban schools. Watch us. And they have like these uh competitions for, you know, first graders to come up with these raps to memorize the times tables. And they have all these like nifty learning techniques. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, and um KIP schools are known to be really successful the KIP schools. Um and uh there are a couple other successful charter schools. Uh and the reason why I oppose it is because it's a false narrative. Like here's we were just talking about a suburban school. Not that it was suburban, but that the the education system is is broken because it's they're not teaching them how to think. They're not teaching them how to live. They're not teaching them each other how to feel. So there's a much better model. There's infinite number of them, I'm sure. Um and here, here are the students who are lagging, the institutions who are lagging, trying to be like this broken system. To me, it's, it's just so infuriating. It's completely the wrong way to go about it. And you could easily have a school that's tied to their communities where the students are taking part in the beautification of their neighborhoods, murals, um, where the neighborhood owners are part of the the, the learning process, um, where parents come in and are also taking part in their reading programs, so you open you, you take this it's the school institution and you open the doors and make it more blended into the community. That would be my dream for the most suffering schools. And then you address, you bring in social workers, you bring in therapists, you bring in long term people, you you forget the idea of a summer school. I think summer, I think the summer calendar is really bad in the urban settings because of the number of single parents that have to work constantly. Um, So in, in, in those locations, I think the school and the community should be one institution, school community. And there's so many ideas that I would have so many different solutions, but um, the way that it is now is just a joke like let's make our scores just as good as the suburbans what kind of meaningless uh
1: goal is that you know how does that change that part of our society i think that's very well put i think that really gets to like a heart of the matter in that Where I was going with that question was I think you could spend a whole hell of a lot more money in center city schools and and you'd move the dial a little bit, but you wouldn't move it enough to justify the increased spending. I agree with that. And the reason is, is because the solutions that were provided don't work. Right. So I do think, I do, I do wish that all
2: teachers were kind of paid the same. I I, I think if, if I were paid what I were paid in the suburban school, um, I would have stayed.
1: Which I think would make a tremendous difference because, I mean, retaining good teachers, I mean, I know firsthand how important it is to have a good teacher versus, like, a bad teacher. So important. Unfortunately, there's (laughs) – Right. Yeah, bad teachers are bad for you. Yeah. Period. Yeah.
2: Just like a bad – just like a bad doctor telling you the wrong thing. They're just bad for your health.
1: And I can't (laughs) – I imagine that's even, like, more compounded in Center City Schools where – you, know, you have a particular demographic and then you have a particular demographic of teacher who went to a four-year school maybe beyond and now is teaching like they, the, the unrelatableness oftentimes is probably even more glaring of like you're coming in here you don't even know what my home life you know and not that that doesn't transfer to all other schools as well but i can ima- only imagine that's even more alienating for a student to be like you don't understand the situation at all like And hard for the teacher then, too, to not be able to understand where these behaviors are coming from. Yeah. There was a, a teacher that I met right outside of our building here, and he was a math teacher in a center city school. And he was just, I mean, he was just venting to me for like an hour and a half because he was so exasperated with how apathetic his students were. They just didn't care. And I was like, I mean, I understand that that must be extraordinarily frustrating as a teacher. And he's probably been doing this for a very long time, but I was just like, "Oh my god, like these poor fucking kids." Yeah, <laughs> like... yeah, yeah. Yeah. When I
2: say when I say bad teacher, I, that's very judgmental and it's very harsh when I say it. But um, first of all, the job of a teacher is ex- extremely difficult. If you want to do it well, it's extremely easy. If you want to do it in a mediocre way, in a poor way, um, and it's extremely easy to become a teacher. So, um, to do it, to do it well, it's extremely difficult because you never, you never put the onus on the student. If a student comes to school uninspired and unwilling to work, um, yes, that's more of a challenge. So what? Like, what are you going to do? Just like dismiss that? Um, so the job of the teacher is to inspire. And, um, if their narrative is, oh my gosh, in unit 22, like no one wanted to do the homework. Well, okay. Don't make it about unit 22 then like find, Mm -hmm. find something, find some way where, um, they're excited to be there and, and you have to make the curriculum, you know, transcend the, the piece of paper and the textbook, number one, number two. You have to be able to empathize and connect with your students. You have to, stu- teachers have to build a relationship with their students first. They have to feel safe. They have to feel warm. They have to feel welcome. Um, they have to be able to feel like they have a voice. And I would not say the first priority is for them to get A's or high scores. It can't be uh, because those students who come without any motivation will be further not motivated. And so the administrators have to recognize that as well. They have to put faith in their teachers to be like, look, I got this. Like they half of my kids are going to fail this first year because look, this is where they are. It's going to be really extraordinary, but I'm, I'm doing something really great here. They're excited to be here. Um, and so like the narrative has to be about the bigger, the bigger things, the, the connection, the ability to think and less about these, these, these scores. And look, those scores matter because in the same way that, it's important for a doctor to read your blood pulse and all of those things. But um, but it's not like a m- modular, like these students aren't just like bins, you know, it's a very organic experience.
1: Are there any countries that are doing it better? better?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, um, so countries like Finland, you know, the Scandinavian countries um, have a really good reputation for having these uh, better curriculum, but at the same time, they're there's, there's no inequity. Also, all teachers are paid the same Korea. Um, it's in their culture to make it difficult to become a teacher. Uh, they're paid really well. They're super highly revered. Um, you know, whereas here I go to my, you know, traditional immigrant parents and they say, you must become a doctor, lawyer, an engineer. Um, and that's a generational thing too. But, um, you know, in Korea, they'll be like, you must be a, teacher an engineer or you know a doctor or whatever um so culture is huge the inequity there is almost non-existent they're you know they pay extraordinarily they pay a lot in taxes but they their social welfare everyone's taken care of um and but as far as the curriculum goes it's very much tied to what's relevant
1: that's I believe it was germany i thought had an interesting idea it, it seemed more like what we would call tech schools like a, a vocational, vocational yeah a stronger uh, a stronger push for vocational mm-hmm. schools and, and here it, it's often viewed as like oh you don't want to go to school go to the go yeah, to the tech school s- there's a the stigma yeah school.
2: i and i I, f- I feel like there should be advanced low schools so if like if they should have advanced culinary school. And if you're into that, great. They should have advanced um, the arts, school for the arts.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would like absolutely. to see like, just a complete blending of the two, honestly, Absolutely, right? That's what I
2: – when I was saying like these
1: experiences, yeah. schools should definitely
2: yeah. go more to – And that's but just they, more
1: exciting and fun. Yeah. Like go build a car. Like, Yeah. Right, I, think,
2: I think that name vo- vocational has so many – like I mean the name could be something else completely. But it's like experience school.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's funny <laughs> you know? how – necessary would probably be to change just the the way that we speak about it yes yeah. yeah it has all the stigma attached to it but. Yeah. Shall should we segue to the next question <laughs> i
0: don't your... think
1: i don't think we spent enough time on that
0: one <laughs> just spend some what's time your on. favorite thing about yourself
1: <laughs> i meditate <laughs>
2: <laughs> my favorite thing about myself um hmm. My elbows. No, uh, let's see. <laughs>
0: they pretty favorite good elbows. Thing <laughs>
2: um, favorite thing about myself, I would say, I like that I'm very patient. Like, that's come in handy. That's a really good <laughs> tool. That's
1: a good answer. I don't think we had that answer yet.
2: Maybe like
0: I mean, we haven't interviewed very many patient people.
2: I mean, like, I feel like that's such a good... I feel like that's kept me from into trouble and
1: yelling and reacting what's your most embarrassing story before age 10 or young adult
2: (laughs) um i mean there could be there could be several that stick out uh one well i'm not this wasn't before age 10 but i was i was an 11 i was 11 years old in sixth grade yeah. So no, I I was just
0: pre-pub. We're looking for childhood. I was ten when yep. I started sixth grade. Oh, I was ten. I was
2: exactly ten <laughs> when I started sixth grade. <laughs> You're so excited. I was like, calculating <laughs> it. 12, 12.
0: What? You 11, didn't 11, you didn't 10. start sixth grade in when December?
2: I turned. Al- I, I started when I was ten, and then yeah. December I turned eleven. You're like That's exactly right. but ten. That day.
0: made it sound like your birthday was. No, no.
2: I w- I was ten when this event happened. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was ten when. Sorry. All, right, all right. Here we go um all right so age so my parents are like you know they're these immigrants and they don't um and i don't say that in a bad way <laughs> but it came <laughs> there across that way they're these immigrants so the stereotype that i have in my mind <laughs> that works well with my parents um are like they, they they're not like let me get you all dressed and go to school and and let's go shop at like you know old navy or, or the gap or they had no sense of fashion which is fine then it's endearing now but it means that like they would shop at um kmart which there's nothing wrong with that but um that's like where they you know they came to the state yes they're both doctors now they're super successful but back then they came to to the united states with no money and whatever it's not it's not, it's, it's not a pity story they had all kinds of privilege but um But for the time being, for a long time, we had, everything was, you know, secondhand or, or we shopped at Kmart and, um, but I had, there was no, I had no consciousness of, of this. My sisters did over time much sooner than I did. But then I I thought that I had like this independent sense between the summer, between fifth and sixth grade. where I was like, okay, I I feel like I know what I'm, I feel like I know what to buy when I go shopping (laughs) for clothes. (laughs) And so I picked out the first outfit for school um, and was these gray slacks, a uh, blue polo. I can't believe I remember this, this blue <sighs> polo shirt and um, suspenders. <laughs> so I came to school with suspenders and um, feeling pretty confident, really excited. And then getting to the first you know, school, being like, I just looked around and like, what the what am I doing? I can't believe I'm dressing like myself like this. This is I. This is terrible, and certainly like And just I don't know how many kids, including my friends, would just like stretch my suspenders out and like just like snap it, you know. <laughs> and I it was
1: just I just felt like a super oddball. Aww. Yeah, I feel like that outfit would fly today. Yeah, yeah, oh it my would. God, would be I'd so be right popular today. Yeah. Have you ever like, tried to rock cool park suspenders park
0: again, or have you been traumatized? No,
2: I think I think suspenders aren't necessarily a uh, like. Is it functional? <laughs> you know, who's it for?
0: My like, friend Nathan <laughs> who's coming over. He's like yeah. a suspender master. Um, oh, he's worn them twice. Yeah, but he yeah, so, he, he, but he wears them with great intention, yeah, yeah. and right. he like cultivates that's his.
2: Totally different. Well. Totally yeah. different. I did not own it. <laughs> did not own it. You own it. You can wear whatever you want.
0: Uh. I feel mean, like usually he's topless when he wears suspenders, so that adds a different element to the game. <laughs> you know, oh, like, yeah, that, uh, that makes sense. As
2: long as you're not bottomless. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Straped over your so, Like,
2: where would you clip it?
0: <laughs> the bottom of your shirt. You're doing like it wrong. <laughs>
2: some extra skin. <laughs> Everyone's picturing that now.
0: <laughs> suspenders, no pants. <laughs> it's not a very pretty picture. <laughs> it's
2: a great picture. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. What is your least favorite thing about being a parent?
2: Least favorite thing about being a parent? Worrying.
0: Were you that a worrier before be... being a parent? No. Not at I all? I mean, you didn't ever worry I like mama. that your wife was dead
2: <laughs> sure yeah i mean that my parents would die that anyone close to me would you know sure who doesn't that's just like a normal anxiety thing i think but with with when no you have idea. a child it's like day one
0: i'm responsible oh to keep you alive entirely like, like the intensity
2: so that you want to like protect the and then you start worrying about everything how they're sleeping how long they, sleep, it's everything that you worry about and the worry um, becomes uh, a little bit less with every kid, but um, <laughs> because you've had that experience yeah. to know, like it'll it'll be okay. This is not a big deal. He fell on his head. <laughs> it was from the couch, not from a tree. Um, <laughs> not a big deal. But it's a goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but still, it's it's like you worry about now. It's the worry about college, or it's the worry about what the cell phone is doing, or everything that we've talked about. Um, their friends. You worry about what kind of friends they're gonna have.
0: We talk about that all the time, wondering about this like thing of worrying about friends. I, w- I would just.
2: I mean, do you know what like the top, like one of the top risk factors in driving is? It's age. Like sixteen-year-olds are the long worst talk fucking
0: about this drivers. Yesterday, Trevor, Trevor was getting very impassioned. Uh, do you not remember this conversation? Are you kidding? Yeah, it was all about it, that well that, that there shouldn't be age discrimination for car insurance and like that it's ridiculous that we discriminate against young men for car insurance and that if we're going to do that we should also discriminate against women no. for health okay, insurance is, oh yeah no <laughs> this it's is it, taking
2: the, way out of context
1: uh, hold on hold on the, the
2: actuaries <gasps> have all of the math worked out like they know they they have you know the millions of pieces of people billions of data points
1: this this is yeah this is a gross (laughs) egregious mischaracterization of what i was saying and and it's not even really applicable to the conversation i was i I was really in a roundabout way making argument against private insurance which i think is terrible even going as far as car insurance i think if i was referencing something i had read that was saying that If we charged women more for car insurance, that that would be – people would be outraged. And therefore, why should it be acceptable to charge men more for car insurance? Are
2: are women – No, men are. Men are charged more. Men are because
1: 16-year-old boys get into a lot
2: more car accidents. Yeah, 16
0: through 24-year-old boys are charged more. But I don't think it's
2: just blanket men, women. I think there's like specific- No, it's age groups. Yeah, that's But also people who are- They also discriminate against people who have been in accidents already, men or women. They, they, they go no, about I
1: can kind of see.
2: They do whatever form, formula works out for you.
1: But I don't think... All right, so now apply that to health insurance is where, where, where the health insurance gets tied in. Yes. Now, assuming, and I could be wrong on this, but assuming that, say, women spend more on health care from the ages of Sorry. 18 to 25 than men age, ages 18 to 25 do, which is, I think, a but reasonable That is also arguing
0: based. because this is a pretty sexist reason that we are having to spend more on our health care because there has never been any like funded research into male birth control and men are usually being oh, much more irresponsible yeah, yeah, with yeah. sex so like basically all the health care uh, that women are doing regularly regular women who aren't sick who are doing health care <laughs> i know it's a it's, institutionalized it's def- misogyny's fault but like i'm not saying that no i don't think that's be. necessarily true i have
1: a fantasy you don't
0: think that the, it's not like that there's nothing to do with misogyny that there has never been funded research into male birth control i think that it, oh, there right? has been funded
1: research into male birth control I do think that it's institutionalized misogyny that there is not male birth control, but that doesn't really address the point that I'm making. I mean the fact of the matter is, is that and this is a big assumption, I would like to say I don't have the numbers to back this up, that but hypothetically, if you charged women ages 18 to 25 more for their health care than you did men for their ages on the pretext that it's more expensive for them to be treated during those time periods, there would be an outrage. And why would it then be acceptable in any other sector to do that any differently? I mean, but really what this is saying is I don't agree with private insurance as a general practice at all. I mean, I think that insurance is something that we all need. Car insurance or health insurance or or fucking homeowner's insurance. I, I, mean, I
2: would never buy a house if I couldn't have insurance. You would, know what I mean? I wouldn't like, buy a car. I wouldn't buy a car if I didn't. Have
1: exactly. So I would categorize it as, as it is a necessity and i think that anything that is a necessity should at least have a state state offered option including internet i think oh, that we should have a, oh a,
2: you're saying you're thinking there should be a public option for co- any, kind of any kind any yeah. kind of insurance
1: that i think that you should just if you get into a car accident you should there should be a formula that the state pays out like that's just an unfortunate yeah. circumstance of life and that should be cuz why not like why not do it that way you increase taxes a little bit more than enough to cover the costs of it. It would cost the taxpayer less because they'd no longer have to pay car insurance and you'd have that burden shared over more people. It would eliminate the uninsured asshole who goes and kills somebody and that person is not able to receive compensation. Like it addresses that completely. Like why not? There's no downside to it. I have to think about that.
2: That sounds
1: interesting.
0: <laughs> but wait, so what are you worried about with your kids being friends with bad kids?
2: Driving. Oh, okay. As if they get when they get there if they get to that age. Oh, uh, when they get to that age. <laughs> um uh, I worry about bad teachers all the oh. time. Yeah. Man. And they've had bad teachers. Yeah. And they're they're oh God, that's just terrible. You,
0: what was it like like it's what's terrible. it like being a teacher and knowing that other teachers are bad? Like with you. Like there's teachers so who much, you're interacting with. There's
2: only so much control you have.
0: I know, but is it like I mean, I guess, are you seeing that same side of them? Like, you know that they're evil?
2: (laughs) No, I I I said at the beginning that all teachers have, or the vast majority of teachers have good intentions. Hmm. Even that teacher that you were talking about, who's like, Mike, my students don't know shit and I'm going to complain. As much as I would like to school that teacher into understanding that that's not, the, the point of teaching is to... Is to make them is to inspire them and in, in, in ver- and you have so many different approaches. But I also sympathize with the fact that his hands are probably tied from administrators who don't see something that he could do that's novel or whatever. But um, so I don't I can't assume what the te- what these teachers must be thinking. I think a lot of them don't give themselves permission to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think they get misguided. Um speeches from their administrators saying, on the one hand, learning is important, state, score, state scores are, every, are important, but at the same time, like, be a great teacher and connect with your, you know, those, those two things aren't necessarily um, uh, go hand in hand. So there's a combination of stuff. I mean, I, I know I can name a handful, unfortunately, of teachers that I thought, wow, I so wish I did, my kid did not have you. Um, one teacher completely at the beginning of the year, my son read and read voraciously somewhere in the middle of the year, completely, it was completely done. No reading whatsoever. Um, do I completely blame the teacher? I don't know, but like I'm not giving her any credit. for Um, how do you do, how do you just knock it out of a student like that so much? Well, I find I find out that they're now reading textbook stuff. They're reading you know, entries in a PSSA training or a oh website God. or whatever. And there's no like love or fervor of stories anymore. Yeah. Um, and so um, it is natural to grow out of your love of reading in early childhood and not recoup it back. But there's, n- there ought to be educators to try to be trying very creatively and this person wasn't doing that that was a tiny little example there were other examples where uh of teachers that make my kids feel like they do not matter on a human level and that's just terrible yeah um and i have to tell my my kid like here's our conversation we're gonna have about how Mm. there are people who will make you feel that way and it's really difficult and terrible and sad here are some strategies that you can you can do to approach that um we can if it gets really bad would you like me to try to switch you out of the class and so on um and i have yet to go to another teacher and say you know it's not like unfortunately or fortunately depends on the way you look at it um it's not like okay you're a bad doctor i'm gonna go see another doctor on a rare occasion do you force your student to go to another teacher or even more rare to go to another school but Look, there's there's plenty of, plenty of bad teachers out there, and I say bad lovingly. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like some of these teachers have, don't know it; they don't have they don't have bad intentions, but they don't see what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not calling myself perfect either.
0: You're perfect. Oh, <laughs> everyone I, calls you oh, perfect. Yes, everyone does. That's <laughs> my other thing I like about myself. <laughs>
2: my elbows and my perfection. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is the book that has most influenced your life? The Bible, no. Um,
2: <laughs> let's see, definitely not that book. Uh although it's got great stories. Um let's see. Uh that influenced my life, influenced my life. Well, I mean um Shoot, now I'm forgetting his name. It was so influential. <laughs> my first meditation book was about uh, was written by Thich Nhat Han, but I'm forgetting his name. The the book's name. Wow. Um. But one book that really changed my perspective on race was pretty mind was pretty mind blowing, and it was fiction. Yeah, it was called um, The Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Um. It is part of the canon in any English class it's a, I think it's pretty difficult to read in high school but still um, something I think everyone should read it's not like easy reading it's not like pleasure reading um, but it is incredibly enlightening um, and it's kind of like this I, I I don't teach English I don't know much about literature speak but it's um it's not it's not realism it's definitely not magical realism it's not surrealism i don't know what it is <laughs> but it's not it's not like a um i just remember it being magical not magical realism but uh in the way that magical you got way it impacted to you? impacted me but also in the way that um you see a black man's experience mm. in the way that Ralph Ellison wrote it pretty powerful really powerful and I remember it having a huge impact forever. I highly encourage everyone to read that in
1: their lives good the book that has most influenced me in my life because this is relevant to a conversation we've been having is Harry Potter uh-huh. when I was in fourth grade I had no idea what Harry Potter and I was I, I'm dyslexic and I was fortunate enough to have a mother that read to me a lot wow. especially growing up um and i had no idea what this book was about i hadn't heard about it so i like i started off reading the first harry potter in school as a as a class we would read like a chapter a day and i mean i wanted to come to school to find out what the hell what these letters flying in through the chimney were about like what the hell could possibly be going on uh and that was probably like the first series that i started reading by myself and then from there wow. i just started reading more and more, wow. more and if it wasn't for her reading that book in class i may have never have got that Itch to read and find out more and be like, "Wow, this is enjoyable." Can like My the
0: whole, whole scope of your life different. would be different. Yeah. yeah.
2: Have you told your mom that? I'm sure. I'm sure. She, yeah. would, she would probably
1: love to hear that. Yeah. That's crazy. That's tomorrow, tomorrow,
0: tomorrow for Mother's Day, write her yes. a card thanking her for reading to you. That's cute. Well, what life practices do you do to keep yourself sane and balanced?
2: Besides meditation.
0: You can just say meditation can, like be the answer I can't I can't
2: think of anything better than than that but music also, uh, music I think I would say that's number two and a half but um, <laughs> but yeah definitely music um, playing music um, but I'd say number two is keeping physically active I don't, I don't know why I mean it makes everyone the the amount the connection that your physical body has my physical body has. My physical body. My <laughs> my ethereal body. My uh <laughs> that my um What am I saying? It's really easy. <laughs> the physical self and like the, the mental self, they're they're mind and body are <laughs> intertwined is what I'm saying. There's no there's such a deep connection. And um so running and swimming for now, sometimes soccer, sometimes some other things. But keeping physically active is really key to my well-being for sure. Thank you.
1: Thank you. What is the most environmentally friendly thing you do or would like others to do?
2: Um, well, the most environmentally <laughs> I was going to say everyone does this. And it's environmentally friendly and that is die, but uh, not everyone, not, not die, <laughs> not keep living and using the earth's resources. Yeah. It's a good thing that. How, how that did you decide to have three kids? The you know, you it so environment was never, time? it was just like a number that like my sisters too, my sisters each have three kids. And you're we were lot of one of, three. we were one of three. Um, it was just like this magic number. Um,
0: I mean, but like, Obviously. even when you started with one, were you like
2: environment? No, yeah. no, um, never no. Thought about it? No, isn't that? It's it's odd. Yeah, that
0: um, doesn't seem like you.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I th- well, here's here's when it did come to relevance was, um, who are the people having children? <laughs> people were having children. Are are people who, or no? That's the wrong way to put it. That's the people who that's are having billions of people the most <laughs> children.
0: No, I mean, come on, just go people watch *Idiocracy*. This is a concept people, that everyone knows. Yeah, people the people having are, the most children are the people who should not be having the most children. <laughs> people
2: who are, yeah, it's typically uh, impoverished, but also the people who are having most children are people in just the the, the, populace, the statistics show they're they're people in the most poor countries. Yeah, um, where women have no choice uh, in the matter culturally. They don't even understand that they have the choice to begin with. For, they don't have family planning. They don't have the ideas to uh, think about it um, in the ways that we do. Um, and it's like a beautiful thing in these cultures, and it ought to be uh, to have as many children as possible. When I lived in Africa, um, you know, the common question that they would ask a 19-year-old Peace Corps volunteer or a 20-year-old Peace, no, we weren't that young, 21 Peace Corps year, year, 21-year-old Peace Corps volunteer is <laughs> like, "Where are your children?" Uh-huh. How many children are you gonna have? Why don't you have children right now? You could have so many It's just inculcated in their culture and these are the countries that that are improving in their health care and all um, and they're living longer. Um, they can have, bear more children. that's where the population is coming from. but in our culture, uh, the people who are most conscientious of, of having uh, children as it relates to environmental impact are the choir, the people that already know, What's, what's going on and so and would raise I their was,
0: children to actually be stewards of the earth
2: yeah and so like we if we're going to raise children we should raise the children that will empower other people and and make the decisions that will change the world but i see this in very tribal terms just in very very simplistic terms If the more lib- liberals the the more earth-friendly parents have no children and the parents who are having children are like do whatever you want and and um yeah. we're gonna be left with a, a generation of kids who uh, aren't creating impact so i would say my three will outdo someone else's three somehow in a in a positive way so do maybe
0: someone else's like 300 i bet yeah <laughs> maybe that's okay. my hope
2: i have to brainwash my kids some more
0: it seems like you're on the right track. Okay, good. Yeah, and you've brainwashed tons of kids who don't have your genetic I'm, material.
2: <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy to brainwash. That's that's my ultimate job.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, why do people do small talk?
2: People do um, small talk to um, connect. I think uh, in the ways that they I mean. think they know how to connect. Uh, it, they do small talk because of insecurities. Because um, so when you go to a party and you meet someone, you you know, kind of an acquaint acquaintance, they're, they're, there's like a cultural norm.
0: To, I can't to imagine make doing small, small, small talk. talk at a party.
2: I mean, that's one extreme. One extreme is like no talk, but one extreme is small talk. The other extreme is like.
0: I guess like networking. stuff. So how
2: often do you have sex a week? You know, like <laughs> that's the opposite. And so you have to find some kind of happy medium.
0: It's very hilarious to me to ask this question and then hear what other hear what people think is the opposite of small talk or our slogan is the opposite of small talk on this podcast. But then when we ask this oh, question yeah. and people give examples of it. Most of the time, it's extremely sexual. Yeah,
2: I know. I think small talk... <laughs> I think small talk is, like, people kind of, like... Um, it's a combination of anxieties and also people kind of, like, measuring up, like, how much is this person actually wanting to know what about me right now? And I don't want to start being vulnerable because this person might not want to know a lot about me. I'm willing to share. And then some people are, like... Um, I'm just tired and I'm not willing to share or like I didn't come to this party, I didn't want to. So it's like small talk is like kind of that buffer state where people are just figuring stuff out.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm pretty down with like party small talk. It's more the institutionalized mandatory elevator Cashier. I even find Whatever.
1: party small talk. Well, I guess I generally, generally don't
0: do that. I think my general thing at a party is to completely disarm people by going in and asking really weird questions and being like, are you worth spending any effort on? It, I, prove it by answering this really weird question.
2: He's right. I, th- I, think you, I think people can eliminate small talk by just bringing that compassion in being like
0: i don't know if i'm compassionate i'm like are you gonna be boring or is this gonna are you can make this well, an interesting party for
2: example like smart like uh just the script hello how are you you know can be a small talk hello how are you it could be like a genuine hello how are you right
0: i mean but i feel like that's it's so easy to tell the difference
2: yeah but i i wish people would just enter a compassionate state of hello how are you, you know? <laughs> um
0: well, like they, but, but do you, I mean,
2: you,
1: do, do you, you really, really,
0: do you really yeah. want to have that conversation genuinely? However, 200 <laughs> well, actually, a day my dog with all the just
2: died
1: and I'm late on the mortgage.
2: Oh, I see what you're saying.
1: You know, um,
0: um, I guess what I mean is. And um, do you need to know like, how whoa, someone is in order to further engage with them? Like if someone's miserable, do you really need to know that at the get go before you get into talking about a garden or something? So having like an absolute shit day you have to check in with that first like hey how are you doing terrible all before, right
2: before you what
0: before you get into anything else before you get into whatever the meat is it just me i'm so oh god i feel terrible so every time your, i have to say this fucking thing to not fuck, say hey how so are you like i just got off the phone with this person about the mural yeah and she's like hey how are you it's like Obviously, no. Oh, I'm fucking stressed oh, out right now. Oh. Everything's going wrong. Do I really have to say these eight words that you have mandated? It's just like, can we just you talk know? about the fucking thing? Like the measurements are wrong. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Oh, you have to do this? I don't like it. It doesn't make me think you're nice. I don't feel close or connected. I would much rather just get to the thing that we want to talk about without having to do all of this poser shit.
2: So, how do you actually <laughs> actually feel? Uh, <laughs> Is there something you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Um I think that in that case the how are you might have been like a disingenuous maybe like um situation but um there's also like something to be said about a ritual. I mean there's so many different combinations of what can happen. Like it's just a ritual to be like okay.
0: I mean sometimes both, I say it too. Lines. It's so ingrained. I can't take I can't I'm not innocent here. It could be like
2: a culturally accepted way of being like I'm sorry. of being like uh like this this place where I lived um you would if you were an adult and you passed a child the child very often especially in the countryside would say you know bless me and you would take the child's hand and place it on their forehead and it was just like
0: they would say bless, just, yeah. bless me and and I would say <laughs> like
2: a, I would I would say bless you yeah they would say bless me and I'd be like bless you <laughs> that that's like that's the literal uh translation of what what would happen <laughs> right <you>. exactly <laughs> Stop and, yourself. <laughs> and um there's like these ways that humans connect on the cultural level there's these little rituals i think you know handshakes a wave of a hand um and i think how are you can be part of that but I think what you were thinking was like, I'm so mad and annoyed at this woman that if really. she says, how are you? No, she doesn't actually mean it. No, I'm not
0: mad or annoyed it. at her. I'm mad and annoyed the at the concept of how are you? Uh, just, Because just like- it seemed
2: empty. What? Yeah, because
0: it's totally empty. We've been emailing back and forth. You know exactly the situation. Why do we even need to waste what any you... more of my time before saying but, what I'm supposed to do with these fucking columns? But like when you
2: sneeze and someone says bless you, like what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I hate well,
0: it. I, I don't mean, like, that's like it.
1: Like, like where where do you but think it's that but this... the intention is like people are just like where do you I think, think, think the benefit something? of this <laughs> ritualization comes from? Like what, obviously it's something that we're, we're, we're deriving something. some sort of benefit from because it's so pervasive throughout. I mean, so yeah, many it has pieces. benefited culture somehow. I don't know.
0: I mean politeness. Is polite
1: Politeness
2: for politeness' sake, sometimes.
0: Yes, just to say like, "Hello, we are we are quality people."
2: Let me tell you, like the ultimate small talk by this these definitions is like the Passover seder. <laughs>
0: I've only ever had really interesting Passover seder. That's
2: great. I would love to be in a Passover seder that was interesting. At
0: the last Passover seder I went to, we started out by everybody telling a story about their personal relationship with horseradish. So I had a lot to say on the matter.
2: That's awesome, right? <laughs> but like doing these prayers for doing the prayers sake to me drives me up the wall. Like yeah. Why? Let's tell the story. Like, don't don't ask me to do this reading, and I say. And God, blessed be he, split the Red Sea or whatever through through whatever it was. Like, I'm not going to say that unless we, like, we talk about the whole story and
1: see how interesting it is. And we say, like, why, you know. Well, that's what I wonder. I mean, I wonder if those ritualizations aren't a extension of, like, are you one of whatever I am? Like, are we on the same team here? Which, if that's the case, that's archaic and should be done away with. <laughs> I mean it's it's like cult- it's cultural preservation I think
2: um in the in the Jewish world. Um and that in in the Jewish culture is like a very very important part of Judaism. It's cultural preservation because of the numbers, because of the history, because it's just part of it. But why anyone would do ritual is exactly that. It's to feel connected to the community. And to some people those rituals mean everything, you know? And to people like us who can intellectualize it a little bit more, it might be like, Ugh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like, gag me with a spoon with this god talk. <laughs> a spoon. Um, gag me with a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> gag me <laughs> with some matzah.
0: <laughs> hey, I have a bunch of matzah if you wanna take that. <laughs> or no, what do I have? I have matzah noodles, I think I have matzah meal. I have all this random ass food, chia seeds, coconut milk, curry to paste. To our listeners, if you
1: are interested oh. in some coconut <laughs> I milk, we were on the podcast. <laughs> dial so, in now if you'd like it delivered personally. I just
0: want to, I want you to read this email right now. This is just, uh, so read it out loud. <laughs> sure. Out loud to our sure. listeners. Read the subjects first.
2: The subject line is, oh, Jitterbrook Perfume, which I still haven't read. Yes, that's, I know. That's why that's you need funny. to read
0: this email so you can. Okay. Un- I just got this email less than a week ago from another friend who I've been about as insistent for as long as I have been with you.
2: Okay. Jitterbrook Perfume is the subject line, and it's from your friend, and it says, two words, colon, life-changing, period. I finally finished it. I read it out loud. Uh, I read it aloud to Kendra. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that okay. one out. I read it aloud to someone. <laughs> uh well loved
0: one he, he's gonna they're both gonna be on the podcast in a uh, couple okay. weeks so I'm- i finished
2: it i read it out all- aloud to a loved one what a piece of art that book is thank you for being so persistent <laughs> miss you <ya. laughs>
0: That's good. that's my favorite piece of feedback I ever get from that's someone. That's so one of my great. top compliments. Thank you for being so persistent. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't hear it enough, but it's like, yes, I'm doing this for your own good, man. I you're, I, I know I you're going to- I've I, been trying like- every three months since january 2008 to get you to read this book it's been 11 and a half years you and read- I, you haven't fucking budged i have sent you so many emails just being like have you read it yet <laughs> <laughs> text messages <laughs> hey 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 here's a quote from it don't you want to read it we've had many conversations i completely conversations. forgot about it
2: i'm so uh, sorry despite
0: how frequently I. if you read you. the
2: invisible man i'll read
0: uh we've made a lot of deals like this before and i have read that first started with <laughs> the omnivores dilemma that was an awesome trade that carried. was in 2008 i read i read the things they carried also in 2008 and we i think i was going really hard on this deal oh to try to convince gosh. you in 2008 okay, and then I'll, most recently uh, re- oh, like three years ago you told me to read uh zao is this right i have the i have it. The, I think it's in the bathroom. But yeah. I, I mean. read it. Yeah, yeah, Tao Te Ching. I I read and I got. I also got. I got Winnie the Pooh's Tao Te Ching, too. I read. did ask both you to read that one three years ago. I know. Well, I went on. I went on Amazon. Amazon, and I was like, Oh, that, that's funny. That pretty much that's undoes
2: about. everything that you read. <laughs> Forget it. Deals a mole and No, I promise it was, I will Winnie the
0: Pooh's version was very good. It was very nice. I liked it a lot. I recommend it. Not as much as Jitterbug <laughs> for your fume. Don't be de- replacing that now. But Philip Roth
2: is that what we're talking about.
0: No, fucking Tom Robbins.
2: Tom Robbins. It had you. an R in it. Tom Robbins. Got it. I'll, I'll read it, failures, I promise.
0: I I've heard this the many prom- times no, before. No, I did
2: not. I, this is-, this is I, I, Now that I'm calling you out seeing. publicly,
0: showing you evidence, somebody thanking me for my persistence so that I feel extra good about being persistent with you.
2: <laughs> that might have been a time when when there was a dearth of reading and when I did over read, the it last only... 11 and a half years
0: you did you, <laughs> you started it. it at least it. twice okay where you've been or, and and I have okay I have at least two emails from you saying I downloaded it and then and then one saying I got it from the library so you've had it physically physically
2: Something at least happened. twice I know I, I had some I know you excuses.
0: started reading it so my intention yeah, yeah is 11 and a half years you've had some good excuses you've, you've raised three children in that time and but you still read books what's another five years um, <laughs> i'm just saying i I'm just, I'm just i just really look forward to talking Why about do you, it with you
2: what without giving without being a spoiler what uh what do you like about it so much?
0: Listen to um, episode eight of Occasionally interesting podcast with Tashi. The reason we traveled to Nepal was because Tashi is a wonderful man. I think you would love him. He grew up um, and he, I think he's Tibetan technically. He went to a t- Tibetan refugee school, but he grew up in the mountains of Nepal. And uh, then moved to Los Angeles for college and I've never like been outside of Nepal, just moved to Los Angeles, was there for over 10 years and then moved back to Nepal when his dad got sick and opened up a hostel. Uh, in honor of Jitterbug Perfume, but just generally, oh, really? yeah, wanted to form his life around it. So we went to Nepal wow. to paint a mural the story of Jitterbug Perfume, and uh we're probably going back e- probably this fall. Uh, he's opening up a second hostel in honor of Jitterbug Perfume, and he wants us to do all of the art for it. But this, he, we talk a lot about Jitterbug Perfume in that episode, and all about why we love it so much. um I love it because it's it's everything. I mean, you just got to read it. Uh, would I? Uh, It is the, it's a, it's like an ultimate story of love of life and all the things to love in life. It's a story of the, it's an origin story of religion and how they've shaped culture over the centuries, how it's been totally like bastardized, misrepresented, especially uh, paganism and uh, like all the things, like accurate things of how Christianity has Ruined certain things and stolen things from whatever um uh and it's also the science of and enlightenment and uh like quantum mechanics um uh, the the five elements uh to to live a good life and potentially stay immortal and then it's also the ultimate love story of of romantic love and uh, and it and it highly recommends beats um (laughs) It's it's uh it's 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 it highly recommends
2: beats. Yes. Okay.
0: I remember recommending it to you for the first time when I was like eighteen. I had just read it for the first time. As soon as I finished it, I came in and I said, I just read my favorite book of all time. You have to read it. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and you were like, yeah, of course, I'm going to do it right now. How about- <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you, you definitely agreed to read it as soon as I told you about it. You were very moved by my description on 11 and a half years ago. Um, but I, I then then you still hadn't read it, and I was, like, definitely on you really hard for, like, six months about, like, do you yet? Have you started it? What's going on? And then I I, yeah, I remember um, embarrassingly – or I, I was embarrassed by his writing style because sometimes he gets, like, very over-sexual, and I was, like – I think I, I, like, wasn't sure how to say that to you, but I remember being, like, is he going to think this is weird? And I was, like, so sometimes he might, like, say some weird things, but, like, don't get thrown off by that because it's still a really good book, so don't get afraid, <laughs> Because I think in like the first two pages, it's like, and and his cum was all over everything. But really, it's about like the origin story of life and immortality. <laughs> Don't get freaked out. <laughs> this is this an accurate discussion? I'll read of it. Bug- <laughs> I'll read it. Okay, <laughs> I'll read. <it. laughs> sure, sure, Trevor. Do you have anything to say on this book that I haven't? That a that, uh... Have you read it, Trevor?
1: I have. Okay.
0: You th- what do you think? You think? Come on, yeah, man. I know. I know. You I know. get this
2: every day. I, I you know. thought yeah. I th- there was an opportunity for some comedy. There. You said no. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a you terrible go. book.
0: Yeah. No.
2: It's good. God.
1: It. <laughs> it's
0: all right. That's oh. all I need to hear. It's beats. Beats. Did I give an accurate description? Is there anything majorly missing or made or over exaggerated?
1: No. Okay. You nailed it. Thanks, Beb. You're welcome.
0: Goodbye.
1: Okay, try doing oh, our exit. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You can start, but we're only calling him Dan, and we're not giving him like basically any qualifications because <laughs> he's anonymous.
1: Today you've heard from Dan. He has no qualifications <laughs> and is <laughs> <not> on, <it. laughs> on occasionally interesting. If you want to find out more, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> So go to our website and shop with our Amazon link
0: and bug
1: perfume and bug perfume. This has been occasionally interesting. <laughs> Thank you for coming out. We, we enjoyed your time here. <laughs> We're
2: still working on it. It's a little perfect. rusty. Anything, to add No, this was great. Thank you guys so much. It's so much fun. I'm glad Thank this you. ended with me yelling at you for 20 minutes.
1: A solid, Bye. solid quality stuff right there. <laughs>